It was a memorable moment for me. A religious education class at school where I learned something significant about religion in the true sense of the word. The teacher had asked the class if between us we could tell him the Ten Commandments. Crowdsourcing biblical knowledge from a group of 12-year-old boys wouldn't normally yield success, but I'd have guessed that our class would have had an above-average chance of passing this pop quiz. Along with a couple of church-going Christians, we had several Jewish boys who, around that time, would have been preparing for their bar mitzvahs. As I remember things, after very much effort, we eventually managed to get eight of the Ten Commandments between us. But what I remember most clearly from that discussion was that one of the commandments we couldn't remember was the first commandment. It's probably the simplest. It's definitely the most fundamental. It is this, Exodus 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. Tragically, in my experience, it is the easiest of the commandments to forget. And that's really why we're jumping into this little section of the book of Judges, chapters 6, 7, and 8. For these next three weeks, we are taking a close look at the life and times of Gideon. Gideon lived in the time of the Judges, a time where Israel had no king, a time where the narrator tells us everyone did as they saw fit. It was a time where people had forgotten the first commandment. And as we'll see in this strange, sometimes confusing, always conflicted story of Gideon, it was a time of spiritual warfare. In the coming couple of weeks, we'll be thinking about fighting battles and facing temptations, live issues for life in 21st century London. But as we look at the events of chapter 6 this lunchtime, our theme is that of smashing idols. This chapter, I think, is something of a how-to guide for smashing idols. How to take down the idols that we've put up in our hearts, or in other words, how to keep the first commandment. So let's begin with verses 1 to 10 and our first of three steps. How to smash idols? Step one, hear the word of God. The setting is pretty disastrous for the people of Israel. This was a time of political turmoil where there was uncertainty inside the national borders and threats from outside them. Raiding parties were crossing over in order to attack the people. These were, in verse 3, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples. Each time a harvest had been grown, these hostile forces would come in and ruin the land and so destroy the crops. And the consequences were dire. In the older translations, verse 6 reads, So Israel was brought very low on account of Midian. Or in the NIV here in verse 2, Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. There's a political problem here and a practical one. 
And the political problem is that the weak and divided group of tribes of Israel was not able to defend itself and fend off the Midianites who were causing them harm. The practical problem was, as a result, they were having to hide and were going hungry. So the people cried out to the Lord in verse 7. But listen to the Lord's response, because it might not be quite what you'd want to hear. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Now, how is that for an answer from God? I wonder, would you be satisfied if that's what you heard, having cried to him? Oppressed and in need of, well, practical help or political help. Calling out to the Lord for rescue. Maybe expecting a judge or or a leader or a saviour to step up and make things good. And instead what you hear is the word of the Lord through his prophet telling you that the heart of the problem is a spiritual one. He says, you have not listened to me. I wonder, would you listen then? Would you listen to his word as he explained the situation? Would you respond to his word in repentance and with faith? The story of the Bible is the story of the Lord calling us to trust in him and him alone. But the story of the fallen human heart is that we so often chase after other gods and put them before the living God. In Gideon's day, those gods were the gods of the Midianites, Baal and Asherah. They were almost a a buy one, get one free offer. They were his and hers matching gods. They were gods of fertility. So they were gods of the harvest, but also of sex and sexuality. These were idols of immorality and debauchery and excess. And of course, it isn't hard to identify those same idols being worshipped around us today. These are gods of self-satisfaction rather than service of others. They are gods of self-indulgence rather than of self-control. But before we're too hasty in spotting what's gone wrong with the world out there, we must do as the people did in Judges chapter 6 and hear the word of God. Because as the Lord speaks into a world of idolatry, he wants to expose and explain what is going on in the hearts of his people. It makes for painful listening, but it is vital for our spiritual maturity. Idolatry is not always a matter of this God or that God, of worshipping false gods or of worshipping the one true God. Very often, idolatry creeps in when we put other gods alongside the Lord himself, or even ahead of him, while still paying him some passing respect. In the time of Gideon, the Lord had handed the people over to the Midianites, 
because they were already swearing allegiance to the Midianite gods of Baal and Asherah. The Lord had commanded his people to be holy, to be distinct, but they'd mixed and mingled and merged their worship of him with their worship of the false gods, of these surrounding people. The American pastor, Tim Keller, describes this state of affairs as halfway discipleship. He says that bringing idol worship alongside the worship of the living God created an unstable compound. In his words, it cannot last. The root of the problem was this. They no longer put the Lord first. And that poses a challenge for us today. Through his word, the Lord exposes and explains the state of our hearts. He reveals to us how we're not always committed to him above all else. How our desires and our daydreams compete with him in our day-to-day lives, often in subtle ways. How we slowly push him back and out of the picture. So often we don't want... Uh, God on his own, do we? We want God and. God and money. God and power. God and reputation or prestige or status or security. It can happen so subtly we might not even notice it. If we're to smash idols in our lives, we'll have to listen to the word of God as he exposes and explains the state of our hearts. We'll need to be honest with ourselves and honest with him. So how to smash idols? Step one, hear the word of God. Step two, know the promises of God. And with this, we're looking at verses 11 to 24. I suppose one question that we might be asking as we think about smashing some idols is whether we are up to the task At best, it sounds like hard work. At worst, it sounds downright impossible. How can we, weak and compromised as we are, how can we do this demolition work of tearing down the idols that are usurping the Lord? Well, the good news of this passage and of the Bible as a whole is that it's not up to us. The Lord himself has promised to save his people and to raise up a leader to go before us in this work. The surprise of this passage, perhaps, is that the leader God raises up here is so average. The commentator Dale Ralph Davies says, Gideon is utterly inadequate. And we'd have to agree. When we first meet him in verse 11, uh, Gideon is threshing his wheat while hiding in a wine press. He's terrified that the Midianites will come along and seize his grain. So it's not without irony when the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You get the impression that Gideon has never held a sword in his life. His initial reaction to this call is to make excuses. Twice he says, pardon me, my Lord, but... But the first time he argues that the Lord has abandoned his people. The second time he explains that he's an insignificant man from an insignificant clan. In other words, he says, you're no help to me 
and I'm no hero. And how we might agree with him. It feels at least sometimes that we're on our own in our struggles in this fallen world, tossed this way and that by every competing desire and temptation. And it certainly feels to many of us that we are weak much of the time. And the Lord's answer? Well, that comes in verse 16. I will be with you. I will be with you. They're words that come again and again in the Bible. As the Lord works among his people to rescue and to save, he makes promises and then delivers upon them. And perhaps the great promise of the Bible is that the Lord will truly be with us. Through all the ups and the downs of the Old Testament story, the Lord never abandons his people to their fate. Always patient, always bearing with them, disciplining them, yes, as we see here with the Midianites, but always with the purpose of drawing them back to himself in wholehearted worship. And that promise, I will be with you, that promise finds its fullest answer and its true fulfillment in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Far from being left on our own, God himself steps into the world as one of us to draw alongside us and to go before us. Far from being weak and insignificant, those who look to Jesus and trust in him are bound up with him as he conquers sin at the cross and rises in victory at the resurrection. Gideon is utterly inadequate. Yeah, Uh, and so are we. But the promise of God to his people is that he will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. His work in us makes us strong where we are weak. The Lord calls us to true and proper worship, wholehearted devotion to him. And it's tempting to dig inside ourselves to search for the strength or the power to live that way. If we try that, we'll find ourselves disappointed and discouraged. No, the promises of God are oriented towards him himself and his action. Our inadequacy draws us to look to him in his sufficiency. We needn't read a passage like this and seek to summon up the strength to be a Gideon, a mighty warrior. That's not how you smash idols. No, you smash idols by looking to the great judge and saviour who has come among us and gone before us to defeat every idol and every one of their schemes through his death and resurrection. We must know the promises of God and trust in their fulfilment. Which leads us finally, by way of conclusion, to step three in verses 25 to 32. Uh, How to smash idols. Step one, hear the word of God. Step two, know the promises of God. Finally, go with the presence of God. Uh, Follow with me from verse 25. Uh, That same night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. 
Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the word of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Hearing the word of God, confident in the promises of God, so Gideon finally sets out to take down the idols with the presence of God. The Lord is with you, verse 12. Am I not sending you, verse 14? I will be with you, verse 16. Gideon goes. He goes at night. It is not a bold and public act of demolition. It's secretive and private. It still doesn't feel very mighty. But it is significant, both for the act itself and for what it symbolizes. At the Lord's instruction, Gideon hacks down the Asherah pole and he uses it for fuel. He tears down the altar of Baal, a carved image in the form of a bull, and he slaughters a real bull in its place as a sacrifice on an altar built to the Lord. And this is significant for two reasons. The first is helpfully expounded by Joash, whose woodwork his son has destroyed. Uh, The people of the town demand Gideon's blood in anger against what they see as an act of desecration. But as Joash explains in verse 31, are you trying to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him should be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. These gods are no gods at all. If they were, they could defend themselves. If they're not... They're just firewood. But the second point is even more significant. Gideon takes down and chops up these idols and makes a sacrifice to the Lord in their place, on top of them even. If our question is, how can we keep the first commandment? This is a pretty good illustration of it. Having no other gods before the Lord means submitting everything to him. It means building our worship of him on top of everything, over anything that might previously have stood in his place. There is a spiritual battle. It is warfare. And the Christian life is one of struggle as we contend with idols like these in our own lives and our own contexts. Will we find ourselves with these competing desires Uh, And when we do, what will we do with them? These desires to compromise our worship of God with our pursuit of other passions and pleasures. When we find ourselves sent into what feels like hostile territory. When we feel alone and inadequate as we go there. Here are three steps to smashing idols wherever we find them. To hear the word of God as he exposes and explains them. To know the promises of God as he sends his saviour to draw alongside us and to go before us. And then to go with the presence of God, looking to him in worship as we set him above all else. And perhaps there are echoes of the word and the promises and the presence of the Lord. 
in that great commission of Jesus in Matthew 28, he sends us out to smash idols, saying this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age.